Hello, FCS Nation. It's time for your show one more time for the 2023 season. I'm your host, Kevin Marshall. I'm coming to you from blizzardy Missoula, Montana. Throw the man with us here like he is each week. Stone's coming to you from the sunshine state of Florida. Well, Stone, we all made it back from Frisco. It was a hell of an experience. A heck of a first half. Kind of a ho-hum, what we kind of expected to see the entire game second half. But overall, a fantastic experience I think was had by everybody. Just a phenomenal experience all around. The FCS Nation radio team had a grand time. I don't think there was anything else we could have requested. Anything else we could have asked to be better. Everything was perfect on our end and I want to give a huge shout out to Northwestern Mutual and everybody on that team Chris Shankle, Kristen Hofert Redlinger Jessica Hasso I mean, seriously, everybody was phenomenal. Jody Nolte from Alex's Lemonade Stand, the Childhood Cancer Foundation that was leading the charge. And all the athletes that came out, Matthew Saluka, Aiden Bauman, our Lemon Trophy winner, Efton Chisholm, Zachary Clement. From all over the country, these athletes participated in one of the coolest initiatives in the FCS this season. Cannot wait to see that thing grow. And of course, thank you everybody for participating. But as far as the game goes, Kev, head scratcher. Uh, what a first half we had. You had Montana giving South Dakota State some trouble, right? You jog into the locker room with a 7-3 scoreline. And you got to think, if you're Montana can actually do this thing. We got some of the answers to the questions that we did have walking into this, but it just seemed like Rogers, Bobbitt, they had uh, better adjustments coming out of the locker room in the second half and just didn't allow them to find another point. Didn't even put the pigskin through the pipes, but 175 yards in a touchdown. And of course they do what they do on the ground, 188 yards rushing. They just, in a sense, were like boa constrictors. Once South Dakota State got rolling offensively and elongated some drives, kept the ball on the ground, doing what they do best and letting the 605 Hogs lead the charge, they were going to come away and win this game. And in the second half, it was uh, no question. It was a no doubter that the Jacks were going to go back to back. But I, I do want to ask you this, Kev, as far as what South Dakota State's defense did to Montana's offense, was that surprising to you in any bit? Not particularly, you know, but I'll tell you something, Stone. A lot of fingers were pointed and, and ink was spilled about that hell of a play that Adam Bach made down there on the goal yeah. line. Uh, stopping him, you know, a couple inches short. And a lot of people pointed that as being, you know, that was a turning point of the game. We're sitting there and we're watching that first drive from the Jack. And it ate up what? eight minutes, something like that, a clock, and we all agreed that's not the worst thing in the world for Montana. Montana would have been happy if they would have done that four more times. They were more afraid of the two-play drive, the one-play drive, the three-play drive, than they were the seven-minute play drive. But I think the biggest turning point in this ballgame for me was with about a minute and 45, two minutes left in the first half, Montana had the football, made some plays to get to around midfield, and you're like, okay, here we go. Things are rolling. And then you think, oh, wow, they get the ball to start the second half, too. And then we have that play where Clifton McDowell could have run the ball for 15 or 20 yards, but chose to put it in the air, and it was an incomplete pass. If Montana goes down the field there, scores, has the lead at the half, and then can somehow score on their opening possession of the second half, how different is this football game? That was the bigger point in the game to me than getting stuffed down there on the one-yard line was. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I think it needs to be shouted from the mountaintops that Montana having a chance to take the lead with Eli Gilman on that massive Adam Box stop. Now, I'll just say, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinion, that right there was the play of the game by Superman himself and Adam Bach to be able to take the Jerry Rice Award winner and keep him just an inch away from the goal line and to keep them from taking the lead of the national championship game was huge. Uh, I think so huge to the point where it made the difference in the game. And, of course, ending the half, coaches talk about... 
EOH and EOGs being the most important stat in the game besides the turnover battle. It's true because momentum's a real thing. And if Montana were to jog into the locker room up 10-7, uh, putting South Dakota State in a spot that they've never been in this season, I think that could have also been the difference in that game. But having not found a single point at the end of the half there for Montana and allowing South Dakota State to go chew on some granola bars, some oranges, maybe some applesauce. Hopefully there's some cinnamon applesauces in there. Yeah, that was all the difference they needed. Jesse Bobbitt at DC made adjustments and made all of the correct adjustments because Montana didn't score a single point coming out of the gates after halftime. Another thing that questioned me was Clifton McDowell and we kept hearing, is he hurt? Is he not hurt? And I think everybody from Montana's camp and who covers the Grizz, yeah, he's hurt. You can tell he's not 100% himself. I never thought that was the case. Not at any point did I think that he was hindered. His mobility is a weapon. He was mobile, but at one point, Quentin Hicks, Brian Williams, and the rest of that front that South Dakota State has just kind of sunk its teeth into Montana's offensive line, wore them all the way down. South Dakota State up front, both sides of the ball, the trenches. Kev, what's to be said about them? The 605 Hogs, that defensive line. Was there a better unit on both sides of the ball in the country this season? No, sir. No, sir. And you mentioned the Jackrabbits defense, and the offense got a lot of pub, and rightfully so. There's some dudes on that side of the ball, for sure. The defense has carried them all season, Stone. It just has. And, you know, you hold Montana to 47 rushing yards, you've done something. Because for all the high-powered offenses, and you know, even back when, you know, Big Sky used to be jokingly called the Big Fluffy Sky because nobody played defense, Montana was still a run-the-ball type of football team, even though they did chuck it 45 times. That was their identity. When it was third in the yard, they were bigger than you, they were stronger than you, they were meaner than you, and they knew it, and the defense knew they were going to pick up that yard. They need to get back to that. 47 yards rushing in the national championship game against a team that has more talent than you do is not going to get it done, and it sure as hell didn't. Uh, so let me ask you this. What did Montana do to take away some things from South Dakota State? It looked like in that first series, they made it known that you were not going to beat them running the ball between the tackles, that that was what they were trying to take away. And the Jacks did some things on the edge. But the passing game was interesting to me. Mark and those guys were able to hit some plays, but what was Montana doing that was different, that was able to hold the Jacks passing game down a little bit? I'll First, I'll start with the run game, and what they were doing is rallying around the football, and that is a day one thing that a coach preaches. That is something that you can practice in OTAs, that you can practice in the spring, that you can practice when you just have uppers, maybe just helmets. Rallying the football is something that I thought they put on a clinic in that first and second quarter for the Grizz. Absolutely did. Isaiah Davis and Amar Johnson are are masters at making the first guy miss, but it didn't matter because there was the second guy and a third guy and a fourth guy, and you can't make all of those guys miss. So they rallied around the carrier. Uh, I thought it paid dividends for them. Typically, South Dakota State dominates on early downs running the football, right? Turning uh, first and 10 into a second and two, and then eventually into possibly a third and two if they're not able to convert from there. So it's easy for South Dakota State to get into rhythm, and Montana wasn't letting them get in rhythm. Their offense is predicated on being in rhythm and picking your spots, and Zach Lewan has done a phenomenal job all season that when this team is running the ball down a team's throat. That is exactly when you can go play action and find one of the Yankee twins on a wheel route. We saw that once they knew that they had this game within their grasp. Boom. Yankee wheel route touchdown and they got past midfield in the plus territory running the football. So just on script for what South Dakota State does. So the pass game kind of just happens for South Dakota State. It's not something that I think they script or that they go into a game saying, hey, we want to do this and we want to do this. Luan, just when the time is just right, calls the right play and that's what we saw. But I, I do want to shout out Montana's defense. They held South Dakota State to 23 points. I think if they score more. South Dakota State wouldn't have even found 23. It was that kind of slugfest, but eventually they kind of just tapped out and waved the white flag. How have we gone this far and not mentioned the kicking game 
for the Jackrabbits. The punter was tremendous. Hunter Dustman was tremendous. He took away the biggest like thing that Montana had, which was the return game in Junior Bergen. It didn't matter whether they were with the win or against the win. He did a masterful job. He should have gotten some votes for most outstanding player of the game, I thought, because he was a huge difference maker in this football game. After that initial 42-yard kickoff return on the opening kickoff that Junior Bergen had, we didn't hear his name except for Bergen calls for the fair catch or a couple times when he caught some uh, passes uh, for short games. Were you surprised the Grizz did not have a sheet, like you said, to get him the ball on reverses, get him the ball on screens, get him the ball 15 times in a football game, because we all agreed that was the best opportunity the Grizz were going to have to win the football game, and they just didn't do it. Yeah, I think Brent Pease, the offensive coordinator for the Grizz, still hasn't slept because he didn't get Junior Bergen the ball. I know that sounds funny, right? We're talking about a grown-ass man and a kid who's barely in his 20s, but seriously, though, not getting Junior Bergen the football in any type of fashion is criminal, and it very well could have cost them the game or cost them being more competitive in the game you got to get him the football I think he had one catch on a dig route for maybe 14 yards but that's all that I remember it was so quiet for Junior that the stat sheet that came into the press box didn't have Junior on it they didn't even grab his catch for 14 yards it wasn't even on there because nobody even realized it so not getting Junior the ball not forcing Junior the ball I think was criminal and it ended up hurting Montana pretty badly but uh Kev you talked about Hunter Dustman should have got some MOP votes I voted him as the most outstanding player in the national championship game I swear to God I did I'm on record on my Twitter account. You can find it. As soon as the voting opened, I went Dustman. I mean, he was pinning Montana back in their own 10. Not just once, not just twice, but three, four times in that game. He hit every field goal. It was a great day weather-wise. Hunter Dustman was in his bag. He punts and kicks for a team who's won 29 games in a row and are now back-to-back national champions. He was the sole reason uh, I thought they won this game because it is damaging to be on the sideline for the Montana Grizz and to think you you still have a chop, shot, but when the punt takes flight and you find yourself on the seven-yard line, it is a blow. It is really hard to kind of gather yourself and realize, okay, we got to go 93 yards. And then to see three points get tacked on again and again, it, it, it's really tough for, for a kid this age to overcome something like that, especially on a stage like that. I voted him the MLP. Mark was just a quiet 13 to 21 for a buck 70 and a touchdown. Also had an interception. That one wasn't pretty. So I think Dustman was a real difference maker in this ball game. Kev, no doubt about that. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. Thanks for sticking with us during the break. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. It's about that time. It's the finale. The national champion has been crowned 23-3, the final South Dakota State on top of the Montana Grizz. Chaos has ensued. Clifton McDowell, the signal caller for the Grizz in the portal. But that's not the main topic here. The mailbag segment, the end of season mailbag segment, we open it up to our Twitter followers and they pepper us with questions and then I throw them at the coach Gene Clements and Mr. Kevin Marshall. Nonetheless, boys, let's get right into it here. Let's go back to the well. I said this segment was not about these two teams. Well, one of them at least. This one from J.D. Benz at Benz underscore J.D. Will South Dakota State and North Dakota State be the favorites again next year? Gene, you take the reins here. I definitely think that many people will look to South Dakota State to be the the favorite next year if Gronowski is back. Um, I think he should be back. That's not anything here. North Dakota State, I think, will always get, you know, um, recognition because of who they are until dot, dot, dot. And so I think it's a 
very good assumption that both of those teams will be favored to be back in Frisco next year. I think for the Jackrabbits, yes. And I and what makes me believe that is how they would run one team of defensive linemen off the field and run another one on the field, and there was like no drop-off. There's depth. The Jacks have depth that most teams in FCS football don't have. NDSU, man, I'm not so sure. Every other time that they've made a coaching change has been from in-house. This one has sort of been from in-house, but not really. And there's been continuity there, and it's worked. One of these times you have to figure out it's just not going to work immediately. And I think we may be at that point for NDSU. The offense is a question mark. It's going to be a question mark. And I just don't know if the Bison, unless they go out and do something which they don't usually do, which is really utilize the portal and bring guys in, don't know if I can see them uh, being a favorite to get to Frisco. And Gene, you said next season? Man, the championship game's over, dude. It's now this season. It just makes it sound so much sooner, don't it? I absolutely love it. Hey, keeping it rolling, ex-Yote at Tommy Coyote 7. What are your guys' thoughts on the Yotes season and how they will compete for an MVFC championship next year? Kev, you get things rolling here. Thoughts on the Yotes? About as good of a season as I think they could have hoped for, right? When it started anyway. They didn't start in anybody's top 25 rank and ended up, you know, being there in the playoffs and it being a hell of a year for them. I think we're going to see Aiden Bauman develop a little more in this offseason. He'll be able to do some more things down the football field if they can go out and find him some targets. And I think one of the things that the Yotes need to go and get is to take a page out of the playbook of their rival, the Jackrabbits, and go get themselves a big 6-6 tight end safety blanket for Aiden Bauman over the middle. The Oats are going to be good. I think this is a program that's on the rise. I don't see them sliding back to where they were. I think we'll see the Yotes continue to move forward. Gene, any thoughts on South Dakota? I think it's unfortunate and Coyote fans are going to kill me, but that's okay. I, I don't see them being as good next year as they were this year. I think that they took advantage, and, and rightfully so, because that's what you want to do. They took advantage of what many could consider a down Missouri Valley football conference this year. Um, I think that those teams that were not as good as we would normally see them be, they're going to be better next year. And I don't know how much better South Dakota is going to be next year. And so I think when that water level rises, some people tend to drown. That could be the case for South Dakota. This one from SSN, Charleston Southern here. Kevin, you take this one right up your alley. Should Gardner-Webb and Charleston Southern, being the only football schools left in the Big South, just drop the conference altogether and merge with the OVC because of their commitment to football, even though they are not geographically aligned? Or is there a potential home for them elsewhere? Well, there's not a home for them in the Southern Conference. I think they're both absolute non-starters for membership in the SOCON. Unless the new SOCON commissioner is willing to somehow get schools that are not interested in having those schools be interested in doing so. Um, now, what does that do for other sports? That doesn't really concern us because we're an FCS football show, right? Where they play basketball or baseball don't really matter to me. But I think that that would probably be the best move for them in the short term because I don't see a whole bunch of the very good Division II schools in the South all moving up in mass to save the big South Conference. And even if they did, it would be a long time before that champion would have the ability to get to the playoffs. So I think in the short term, that may be the only move. Not only is it the best move, it may be the only move for Gardner-Webb and Charleston Southern. Gene, I want you to take this one. I'm excited to have Sam Herter on in the next segment. We'll pick his brain, but for us, the crew here, Coach Gene Clements and Kevin Marshall, this one from Milk with a Bad Choice. Love that tag name, by the way. At Max Lomax 73 on X on Twitter. Why McDowell leave Montana? 
a yacht time or QB coming to Montana? Question mark. I think that it, it's clearly Montana. The coaching staff and the people that are involved in Montana believe that this young man is the future and the future is now. I think they believe, I don't actually agree with them, that he may be better than McDowell. And I think that that might be why we see McDowell in the transfer portal right now is because they believe that they have their quarterback for next year and, and going on into the future. And so it's better to move on now than others. I, I tend to look at the guy who, you know, always kept it duck-like cool on the surface while everything was going crazy and chaotic around him and going, that's going to be a loss, but we'll have to see. Kev, any thoughts on Cliff being in the portal right now? Yeah, and and what Gene said is certainly true, but I didn't play with any pressure on him this year, right? I mean, they brought him in a couple of times when the game was close, but, you know, I, I just, and, and, but Stone, one of the things that, that I really uh, take away from what you say a lot is that we're not in practice, right? We don't see what's going on day to day, and so when you question coaches moves with playing time with quarterbacks and other players. We're not seeing what goes on Monday through Thursday in practice. We're only seeing what happens on Saturday in the games. And with what I saw when he came in the ball game in Frisco, I mean, there were some knuckleballs that were thrown. They were not aesthetically pleasing, right? I mean, uh, I think I looked at you and said, I think Phil Necro threw that. One. And you being as young as you are, you looked at me like you had no idea who Phil Necro was, and that's fine. But it's an awful lot of pressure to put on a young man to say, you know, a guy who took us to the national championship game is going to hit the portal. It's now your job. Go out there and do better than he did. So I don't know. Uh, I just, I think they're going to bring somebody in. I really do. And I think it may be somebody who can come in and start immediately and they already have their eye on him and maybe he comes in and elevates that position to another level, which is what it's going to take for Montana to get to Frisco and win it. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Clifton. I think we could sit here and rap about it all we want, but we really just don't know. Who knows what Hal told him, whether or not he was going to have to compete in the spring. Those are things you don't want to hear, especially being the reason that you were playing and contending in a national championship was, in my opinion, solely because of Clifton McDowell finding lightning in a bottle and getting you guys there. So there's so much to be said. Uh, we do wish him luck wherever he finds home mr clifton mcdowell 17 had an awesome year enough talking sam herder hero sports on the way you're listening to fcs nation radio on the palmetto radio network and we're back you're listening to fcs nation on the palmetto radio network very pleased to be joined this segment by mr sam herder of hero sports coach gene clemens is here and as always stone labanowitz is here well guys frisco it's in the books the jacks win and sam your initial thought i thought the crowd was extremely good i thought that the grizz fans traveled extremely well this may have been my favorite frisco weekend yet it, it seemed like the most energetic one uh you know since i've been there uh you know bo- both fan bases showed out really well i thought the lead up you know the two-day lead up to the game was phenomenal i thought the tailgating was phenomenal the game was a little odd you know uh kind of a slugfest in the first half and then south Dakota state rolls in the third quarter and then nothing really happens in the fourth quarter so the game itself was a little odd uh but no doubt all four quarters were still intense and both of those uh fan bases definitely brought it there sam talk about energetic with everybody around where would you rank this i know you just said it was the most energetic but as far as in years past it seemed like with the team has won 28 in a row looking for 29 trying to go back to back is this a game is this a lead up that finds itself in the top three in your experience since you've been covering the SCS? I think it does yeah and Montana fans have a lot to do with that for how intense they are uh you know I, I think the the 2017 season so the January 2018 game a rematch between NDSU and James Madison a year after a JMU kind of uh, you know ended NDS, NDSU streak I, I thought that build up was that was as intense as it got really the NDSU Jacksonville State lead up was pretty intense as, as far as uh, smack talk but that game got out of hand pretty quickly so I, I think this one is right up there in the top three 
three with those other two. And then just right off the top, were you confused at this result? We're going to get into the game in a little bit. Just as far as 23-3, this total was set right around that 50 number. We expected Montana to have some answers offensively for the South Dakota State defense, but when the clock struck quadruple zeros, was this surprising to you and to what extent? I think the 23-3 the score was surprising. You know, I, I had South Dakota State winning by 17, and so winning by by three scores wasn't wasn't a surprise, but I thought Montana would be able to pop a couple of a couple of explosive plays, whether it be offensively or on special teams. And really, they didn't take a whole lot of shots. You know, it looked like Clifton McDowell was partially, uh, you know, beat up a little bit, and also partially maybe just lacking confidence to take those deep shots. I did think Montana would get a couple more scores on the board. So just that that three points was a surprise. But I mean, South Dakota State's defense has been legit all year. Yeah, one of the things I thought was interesting, you talked about the um the viewership and how the viewership was down from from previous years. Do you think that it has it has to do with just because it's more regional right now, the representatives? Do you think it would be better if we had somebody still relevant as a as an East Coast threat to to the game? Yeah, there's a lot of factors in that small number. 1.04 million on ABC. That's not a very good number, honestly. But at the same time, you're going up against like five different NFL games. Uh, it is very regional. Uh, so East Coast, West Coast, there's people down South, maybe, you know, don't have an obligation to watch the game. Montana, South Dakota are obviously pretty, pretty small markets. And the game was, you know, unless unless you're a defensive fan, the game was kind of boring. And so I think all that plays into a factor of of the the low numbers. And you saw when James Madison was in the national title game, they got huge numbers because of they're they're in a, in a pretty good market there. And honestly, the, the highest viewed postseason game this year was South Dakota State Villanova in the quarterfinals, 1.85 million. Villanova had a lot to do with that because they're they're in a big market. It wasn't you know South Dakota State that that was that was a part of it, but Villanova being in a, in a big market helps that. And so would it be great to see a Villanova or like a Sac State in the national title game some sometime down the road? I think so, because I, I think they would get casual viewers from a TV landscape uh, because they're in such big markets. I mean, Charleston's a pretty big market too, Sam. Don't no. leave out teams that are important That's to true. me. That's you true. You know, so so look, when people ask the question this week, is anything going to change going forward? And Sam, you can agree or disagree, but I feel like when the news that you broke about the new television contract being done and it staying how it's been, I don't think we're going to see anything change, right? Because with the NCAA, it seems once they get their money, they sort of step away and let ABC and ESPN figure out what's going to happen with our title game. Right. I, I think there's a pretty good chance it's going to stay on Sunday. It just depends, again, on, on the TV windows. And initially, when that TV deal came out and it said, I think it was softball, volleyball, and the FCS championship are guaranteed to be on ABC for the next eight years. Initially, it was, okay, that's great. Like, ABC is a massive channel. It's network television. But when you when you kind of peel it back, that lowers the, the number of windows even more. I mean, what happens if there is an open ESPN slot, uh, you know, slot on Saturday morning or Friday night? Can they be flexible to, to move it to ESPN on, on a Friday night or does it have to be on ABC? Um, I don't know the answer to that question, but if they are just going to be, it's on ABC no matter what. I mean, ESPN is fine with this game getting 300 less thousand viewers and putting it on Sunday against the NFL just because, hey, if we, we have an open slot there, ABC, and we can get a, a, a live game on there that gets 1 million viewers, but let's put it on ABC. You know, we don't care that it's 300,000 less. We, we're fine with the 1 million uh, number. So I, I don't think it's going to move off of Sunday, but again, it just depends on what TV windows going forward. Sam, if you could use the FCS Nation radio platform, nationally syndicated all over the country, and we gave you the floor to go Chip Kelly on us and kind of give us your best idea, like what have your thoughts been internally uh, as far as how to fix this? Have you thought of a pitch? Is there an idea that you have? I think you more than anybody would have answers that people are looking for. So Friday night is probably probably not going to happen because Frisco is not huge on Friday night, partially because of the traffic and also partially because you kind of shorten uh, the weekend a little bit. Saturday, if you play on Saturday, you're, you're going to run up against the NFL if you play later in the day. If you start at Saturday, 11 a.m., 
which is when it usually has been. That's you could do that, but tailgaters don't like it. Football players might not like it. It's just really early in the day. Sunday, you're going up against the NFL. So I think a Monday game could possibly work because, you know, for fans there, they're probably gonna have to miss work Monday and Tuesday. But when they but when there were Saturday games, they would probably were missing work Thursday, Friday. And so you're not missing more days of work for fans there. Yeah, there's less competition on a Monday. Frisco still likes it because people are coming Saturday and Sunday It's gonna be a long weekend. It's not Monday. I, I understand it's a weekday game, but it, it's still, you know, kind of attached to the weekend. Obviously, I don't like Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. I don't want anything like that. But I think a Monday night game could potentially work for, for the best option here. Sam, you actually like stole my thunder. I was about to ask ask you about Monday with the FCS as a lead in to the to the national championship games there are people who have suggested that adding the division three and the division two championship games to the same venue would be something that would would like stoke more you know more interest but I really think that if you flip it to that Monday it might work but can this really just come down to the fact that once we get a coastal team in the championship we'll see that number probably increase by by half a million viewers why would you take something and put it dead set against the biggest thing in sports and you're playing what is basically the same sport that makes absolutely zero sense to me two things there uh as far as leading into uh the, the cfp uh you know national championship that is a good idea but i think they, they would avoid that now because going forward the, the cfp national championship that's gonna be played like january 20th i think yeah. uh next year so that that's too long of a break and i think just going up against the nfl i think it's just it's it's, it's almost an image thing because if you think about it like 1.1 million on a sunday versus 1.3 million on a saturday like 200 100,000 people, does that really move the needle a whole lot? Maybe a little bit. But at the end of the day, it's just an image thing where the FCS feels like it's filler content, where ESPN devalues it and they just say, we don't care that you get less viewers. We're fine with 1 million. Let's throw you, uh, you know, in a Sunday. You know, we don't really care that that's fine with us. It kind of degrades the FCS. And I know there is a lot of recruits that NDSU and South Dakota State have gotten because they've seen, they're from Texas and they've seen NDSU playing, you know, on on a Saturday, uh, you know, ESPN too with a bunch of people watching. You know, that was their first introduction to NDSU or South Dakota State or James Madison. And now when you're burying them on Sunday, that's just less overall exposure. Uh, so it just feels like filler content. Um, and it's just us in the FCS world, we know why the game was moved to Sunday. It's a TV decision. But when you have, you know, really well-known national media people with 200,000 followers and they're tweeting out the FCS national title game beat on a Sunday is such a joke. And you read all the comments and all the comments are saying, yeah, the FCS, what are they doing? It is such a bad look for the FCS. And just, it's just an image thing, in my opinion. So getting it off of Sunday, uh, even if you have to get it off of ABC, and put it on ESPN2 on a Friday night or ESPN on a Monday, I think that's better than ABC. Uh, I don't I don't buy the, well, Sunday on ABC is better because of the exposure. The numbers literally say you don't get more exposure playing on ABC on a Sunday. So if you have to go to ESPN2, do it. But, you know, they say they're locked into ABC moving forward. So I don't know if there's that wiggle room there or not. That right there is gold, Sam. Love it. Hey, a few more for you here. Having a chat with Sam Herter from Hero Sports. I have one I want to fire off at you. I haven't even thrown it at the boys yet. But in regards to Mark Gronowski, the signal caller for the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, two years left to play football if he wanted to use them. What's the move here? What's the smartest thing for him to do? I mean, for God's sake, if you go on FCS Twitter, everybody feels like they have the answer for Mark. I personally have a relationship with Mark, and I can tell you right now that Mark's just enjoying his time. I want to hear your opinion, though, if you think that he should run it back with the Jacks and Jimmy and try to get a lot of the guys who are going to go to stay, but is there something you think is smarter? 
of a decision for Mark right now? Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, whatever decision he makes, it's going to be well well thought out. And so whatever decision he makes, I think is is the best one for him. But um, I guess if, if I was in his shoes, I would run it back one more time with South Dakota State. Um, he's already, I believe, accepted into the grad school at South Dakota State for mechanical engineering. So stay one more year. Everyone's doubting your ability to three-peat. Well, some people might be. Uh, you know, <laughs> win three in a row. Try to chase Easton Sticks' record for most wins uh, in FCS history. Go down as one of the most accomplished FCS quarterbacks of all time. And then in 2025, for your final year, then go to the transfer portal if you want. Go to wherever, get $750,000, make some money. If you don't go to the NFL, that's fine. You're a mechanical engineer, you're going to be doing just fine. So that's what I would do, run it back one more time and then explore your options in 2025. But I, it, again, that's just my opinion. Whatever he does is going to be best for him. Now might actually be the better time to make the move because there's no guarantee where he goes that he's going to be the guy. Like we know that we know that recruiters say anything to get you in the door. But if he gets to, say if he transfers to an FBI, school and it's just a little bit more overwhelming for him now he has another year to get things right as opposed to leaving with one year left and now it's all or nothing you've gotta you've gotta you've gotta make it work that one year do you think that there's validity to either move now or ride the entire wave out at south dakota state i, I don't think he would necessarily view it like that you know i i think there's a better than 50 percent chance that he comes back next year i would be pretty surprised if he comes back in 2020 just because by then, you know, maybe he has that one more year left and then he explores where to go for there. So I don't know if it's necessarily uh, go now or don't go, you know, ever. Uh, I think it could be, you know, a split thing. I think everybody knows how I feel about our best players moving up to the next level. I always put up in quotation marks, right? Air quotes. So if you're listening, Mark, I doubt your ability to three-peat, man. And then I'm going to doubt your ability to four-peat, man. So uh, come back and prove me wrong. Look, I'm an FCS guy through and through. I didn't watch a second of that so-called college football playoff national championship game the other night. Didn't have the time or the inclination. I like our level of football and I like our players who these guys recruit, develop, see something in, give them a free education, get them an NIL deal. I like to see them use that on our level and not just see our guys get developed on our level and then go, and if they make it to the NFL, they're going to always say what FBS school they went to for a year and not the FCS school that got them there to begin with. I'm off my soapbox now. Done. And Sam, another one I wanted to throw out to you too as we wrap it up a few more for Sam Herter of Hero Sports, the Clifton McDowell saga. I mean, what the hell is, is going on? So what I want to do first is go step by step here. If we go to Instagram, this is the day after the National Championship game was played obviously they lost 23-3 he quotes to my seniors i love you like my mama had you if ever you guys need anything i'm gonna call away glad to have played with such a resilient group of guys our ability to battle through as much adversity that we face this season will forever hold a spot in my heart the season didn't end how we wanted it to but we made memories that last a lifetime big sky champs and here is where it gets spicy never satisfied more work to do dot 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 we will be back to finish the job until next season keep stacking hashtag revenge tour and then we find our way to the x app the twitter app where it says thank you montana for everything forever grizz and he announces that he's entering the transfer portal did this surprise you as it did everybody else right it honestly it didn't really surprise me um i don't know why like i wasn't tipped off i did you know it's not like um you know there's any scuttle or anything out there i just kind of gut feeling you know i kind of wondered after the game i'm like i wonder if clifton's gonna you know enter the transfer portal and, and kind of parlay his successful season into being into trying to be a starter at the fbs level 
because he's bounced around now uh, four different schools. This his next school will be his fifth school. So it's kind of just in the back of my mind. Of, if I wonder if you know he probably really likes Montana, but at the same time, it, you know he is you know from the south and Montana gets really dark really early. It gets really cold, and so um, you know maybe a little bit homesick. Maybe he wants to go to an FBS school closer to home, um, playing from his family. You know, um, you know I'm, I'm not sure. So uh, I, it's not like I predicted it to happen, but when I did hear it, I was like, okay, that you know I kind of could kind of get a hunch that maybe that was coming. Hey Sam, after the game, after the game, Bobby was asked about whether or not he thought that Clifton being injured was a factor in how he played. And he very matter-of-factly said, I don't think he was that injured or I don't think he was injured. It, that wrong is really cold and really like dismissive of that being a reason for him to play. Do you think that maybe there was some type of rift between McDowell and, and Bobby or possibly Montana thinking that, hey, we're going to out-recruit you or and or go a different way next year anyway. And Clifton, knowing that, just decided, okay, it's time for me to move on. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know, you know, historically, Bobby Houck, um, I don't know how I would describe him with with his with his quarterbacks. Um, he is a players coach, but at the same time, Bobby Houck is, is very much like a, a no star uh, type of guy. Like no guy is bigger than the program and all that. And he's always kind of, in a sense, not let his players you know shine you know brighter than than, than the team. And so uh, I know there's like stories of like every year you know back in his first stint, there would be like a three year starting quarterback and then he would always be like well this you're not guaranteed to start this fourth year like he was very hard on his quarterbacks and um you know maybe that maybe that relationship with Clifton you know um maybe that you know stretched in a little bit you know I don't know I I do know this that Montana is very high on their underclassman quarterback Ayat um I think there was no guarantee that Clifton was going to be the starter next year I think he was going to be you know in a battle with Ayat to be the starter again I don't know if that played into uh, the mind of Clifton it's very easy that he Stone you, you read that Instagram post it's very easy that um, he could have posted that. And then sometime after that, you know, some some third party collective contacted him and say, hey, we have 30 grand waiting for you. We have 50 grand waiting for you to come to our school. What do you think? And he goes, done. All right. Enter my name in the transfer portal the next day. Tweet up my thanks, but I'm leaving. I mean, it, it could happen that quick. And so that that could be a part of it, too. I love that you bring that up, because for me, I think what we're doing, because this is new to all of us, I think we're overthinking it, you know, in translation with a lot of these players, how they think. Like, let's not kid ourselves. We do know how these kids think. We do have conversations with the kids. We do know their level of intellectuality. I think it comes down to it to some degree, just wanting to go ball out in front of more people and have more fun. I think you might have hit the nail on the head. It gets darker in Montana. Kevin can speak to this. It's freezing the F cold. I mean, that stuff sucks. So for you to walk into a university, whether it's in the South, whether it's on the East Coast, it's a little sunnier, it's a little brighter. Summers are a lot more fun. I mean, he's all a 6'4". He's all a 230. The kid has finally found his game, I, I think, in a spot where he's happy with it and confident moving forward. I think we overthink this a lot of the time. These kids just want to go ball and play football and then get on with their lives and go into the real world. I'd imagine Kevin unmuted is Mike to talk about Montana weather. Well, Stone, everything that you said is absolutely true. But if you're the starting quarterback for the Montana Grizzlies, that's a real special thing in this state. When you run out on that field in front of 27,000 people on a Saturday in Missoula, Montana, there ain't a bigger person in Montana than you. Now, you can say, what is that, a big fish, small pond? But it don't matter. If I was 23, 24 years old, and everybody knew my name, and I was playing quarterback for Montana, I would think that would be the closest thing that you could get to being the starting quarterback at Alabama. And I'm not 
not kidding as far as the way people think of you and what that can do for you to set you up for the rest of your life if you're willing to stay here and if you're willing to put in what it takes to live here. So everything you said is true. It does get dark early. It is cold. But I think running on that field in front of 27,500 people and have every kid in the place know your name, want your autograph, treat you like you're Johnny freaking Unitas might overshadow some of that. I think it has a lot to do with what Sam said. I think maybe in between that Instagram post and that Twitter post, that cell phone went ring-a-ding-ding, a ching-a-ching. Ching. I think that's exactly what happened. I, I also love that. And I think if you're Clifton, there's another thought that you could have had. And it's what else is there to do? Like, I don't think we're necessarily going to run it back. And if I were to come back and compete for a job, says Hauk, what if we don't win a national championship? Like, I checked this box. Like, I've made this stepping stone and gotten all the way there. Now, for the elephant in the room before we get you out of here, Sam, Junior Bergen. Um, I don't necessarily know where to start with all of this. I'll go out on a limb. Gene, Kevin, you guys can disagree. I, I do think he's the hottest commodity in the FCS right now. I think any team, any conference in the FBS, he would be a plus for them. He would be on the field right away. There's so many things that he can do for a team. Do you stay in Missoula? Sam, if you're Junior Bergen, do you go elsewhere? Do you shop yourself around? I mean, this is the one that I think we've all been waiting for. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling that he's going to stay. Uh, you know, he is a Montana guy, um, and that's I wrote it too before the game. A big reason why the Montanas and the Dakotas are so good is because they have a lot of good home homegrown talent that want to stay there and want to play for the Grizzlies. Uh, so I think there's a good chance that he stays. Uh, Montana also has an NIL collective. Um, and so, you know, you can't go dollar for dollar if, you know, Washington or whoever calls, but uh, you can spruce up the pot a little bit for junior. You can also say, you can also go to the Missoula businesses and say, um, you know, go to the bar, go to the car dealership, go to the local Applebee's, go to four different places and say, Hey, how much money do you think junior Bergen makes you guys? Because the reason we're in the semi, my finals this this last year was because of Junior Bergen. Right. How much more? How much more business did that bring you? Twenty six thousand people, you know, came or you know, twenty six thousand people were at the semifinal game. Where do they go afterwards? Your bar. How much was that worth? If we want to keep this guy, how twenty grand? Can you give him twenty grand to stay? Can you give him twenty <laughs> grand to stay? Can you give him twenty grand to stay? Hey, Montana has that level of support, so I, I think they can fork up the money. I um, mean, it's weird to talk about in this day and age of talking about getting a guy, an FCS guy, sixty grand to stay, but it, sometimes that's what it takes, you know. What's your thought process on the these, these quoted NIL deals that are out there for FCS. I've had this conversation with Stone and, and with Kevin. I think some of these numbers that people are throwing out are a little bit a little bit overblown. But for Junior Bergen, I don't think it would be. I think that there's a team out there that would possibly put some some somewhere close to six figures in his hand to have him come and if if nothing else than to just get back there and return punts and kicks. Like, he's that level of dynamic. Um, Do you think that everyone is really going out there and getting that level of bag? Do you think there's a $50,000 bag out there for Clifton McDowell or a, a $65,000, $70,000 bag out there for Mark Gronowski? Or is this just people who don't really, really know what's what, what's being passed around just making assumptions? I think it depends on your position because I do think there is a, a market value there. And this is what, this is what I've, I've heard that, uh, you know, quarterbacks are, are the top, you know, top of the market. Uh, you know, Mark Gronowski could probably get quarter of a million dollars, at least if he went somewhere, the second biggest market is actually offensive linemen. Everyone wants offensive linemen. If you're a safety, if you're a linebacker, if you're a wide receiver, there's a lot of really good wide receivers out there. And so is, is junior Bergen, 
quote unquote worth more than Mark Gronowski in the NIL world? I don't think so, because again, there's a lot of good wide receivers out there, but could he get a hundred thousand dollar offer to go play at, at Washington or Nebraska? Um, I, I do think so. As far as Clifton, I don't know what his NIL value would be. I think like on three, you know, does those valuations. I don't know how accurate that is because that, that's really hard to, to, to value that, but I'm sure Clifton maybe has some NIL offers out there. Um, I just don't know uh, how much it, it, that would be. Sam, thanks for being here, buddy. It's always good to talk to you. Always good to see you. Uh, run across you in Frisco and, you know, then at uh, Big Sky Media Day, I hope again this year. Uh, that would be nice if you could come back. Spokane is nice and it's at the casino now, which that's another whole thing about how college sports have changed, right? When a conference can have its football media day at a casino, which is something that 10 years ago we would have said, that's crazy. That'll never happen. But it's not crazy, and it did happen, and I hope to see you out there in July, my friend. Thanks for being here, Sam. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for hanging with us during the break. You're listening to FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. Well, Stone, this is normally where the pick segment goes in, but alas, we've got nothing left to pick. National championship game was last week. Covered that ad nauseum. If you're just tuning in, number one, South Dakota State, 23. Number two, Montana, three. Graduations once again to the South Dakota State Jackrabbits for going back-to-back and winning their second straight national championship. Well, Stone, not only were the Jackrabbits winners this weekend, but we also gave away an award this week to a winner, the winner of the 2023 Bill Schwanke Award for Excellence in FCS Radio Play-by-Play Broadcasting is Mr. Roger Wyland from the University of Albany. Roger Wyland, the voice of the UAlbany Great Danes, the winner of the 2023 Bill Schwanke Award for excellence in FCS radio play-by-play broadcasting. Congratulations to everyone who was nominated, to all the finalists. This was very tough for our committee. want to thank everybody who voted, including Mr. Tim Brando of Fox Sports, Mr. Paul Papps of the Dan Patrick Show, and Mr. Freddie Coleman from ESPN Radio, plus a bunch of people who we respect around the country who were in broadcasting who know what it takes to be a play-by-play radio broadcaster. Stone, when you look back at the season, a couple things stand out to me. One of them was the rise of the UAlbany Great Danes. They came out of nowhere. Do you remember what was it, Stone? Week one of the show? It was week zero. Week zero, where we watched them play Fordham, and we were talking on the phone and texting back and forth and looked down and saw that they were picked 11 in the CAA. And I think I said that if that's the 11th best team in the CAA, that I would eat your hat. I'm glad that I didn't have to do that because you know, them Saluki hats can be kind of stinky down there in Florida after a whole summer's worth, right? Or just stinky in general, right? Because people want to make you pay for them. That's true. That's exactly <laughs> true. And look, the rise of UAlbany, Idaho continuing to get it done under Jason Eck, Montana coming from where we had him initially in the preseason, something like rank number 14, which I thought was, you know, pretty generous considering, you know, what they had coming back and what the expectations were. And I think, too, that us being right all along about the Furman Paladins, as much as it hurt me to be right about Furman, we were right about them, weren't we, Stone? You're damn right. Hey, these are two good teams, I think, that are worthy of a little shout-out here, one being the Albany Great Danes. They were picked 11th, and they ended the season with 11 wins. 11-4, and four, a semifinal run. And, Stone, look, we put this show together every week and it goes out all over the country and we did something this year that i think was greater than our own self-interest of growing as a show uh, we did something in partnership with northwestern mutual and with alex's lemonade stand that raised forty-five thousand dollars to end childhood cancer as we know it i know that this is like one of the best things i've ever been a part of in my life to use the power of what we've built for something that has done that much good and to partner with northwestern mutual a fortune 50 company and alex's lemonade stand i just think that the whole thing was tremendous 
tremendous. And you know what? If we'd have raised a dollar, I'd have been proud of it. But the fact that we raised $45,000 was just tremendous, though. I mean, it wasn't tremendous. It was ridiculous, Kev. We had 11 athletes on board this year. They all contributed in ways I'd imagine they thought unimaginable. Me and you never thought that it could get to this point. And we soon realized, hey, this is just the beginning. We're going to be expanding it next year. Northwestern Mutual announced Lemonade Center. are going to put more into it. We realized how rabid these fan bases are around the FCS and how competitive they do get. And when athletes are at the forefront of making a change in regards to something like childhood cancer and the research that's needed for it, it's big. It's bigger than us. And when you see Afton Chisholm and Aiden Bauman, Aiden Bauman, shout out, the winner of the Lemon Trophy this year. You talked about $45,000 being raised. Aiden crept up to nearly $10,000 raised. That's how involved Vermillion was. That's how involved Coyote Nation was. And that's what we expect more of next season. Like I said, we're going to be expanding it. And one of the things I take the most pride in when you look at college football and the landscape that we currently sit in is the NIL, right? You call it the wild, wild west. We're seeing teams, organizations, cities all over the country throw just ungodly amounts of money at players just to come play football for them, right? There's nothing on the back end. There is no ROI. But for us, being able to pay some of these players and get them on contract to do something that is way bigger than them, something that even though they're taking classes and they're going to football practice, and going to lifts in the morning that they're still investing time into. Each one of our athletes held an event revolving around raising money for childhood cancer research in the town that their team is in. Like for fans, for mothers and fathers, and just like I said, fans of the teams to be able to go to a certain location and meet these players and get autographs and for their kid, their son, their daughter to get eyes on this kid and realize that he's just a human being as well. What that does for a kid, I'd imagine, is just something that parents thought was never going to be the case. But for us to be able to bring that to the fold, I think is something that is truly a blessing, something that we're really, really proud of. And we can't thank Northwestern Mutual enough for. We can't thank Alex Lemonade Stand enough for. And just know that we're coming back bigger and better than ever next year with more athletes. I'm so freaking pumped, Kev. Not only is that coming back bigger and better than ever, so is FCS Nation Radio, y'all. A lot of exciting things in the works. We're going to take a few weeks off, some well-earned rest, I think. And we'll be back at you with constant around the NFL draft. And before we get out of here for the last time, this season, y'all, I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you, dear listener. Without you, we would have nothing. We would be nothing. We would be talking to a wall. I don't like talking to a wall. I'll talk to hear myself talk, but it's so much better knowing that thousands of you are listening every week. Thank you. Thank you to our affiliate stations for trusting us with an hour of your station clock each week to bring your fans and your city the best of FCS football. To my Grizz tailgate buddies, thank you for putting up with me for another year. I know it's not easy, and I appreciate you. To my friends in Charleston, Chris Richardson and Chris Nolte, thank you for the hospitality when I came home to see my Bulldogs play. To Stone Labanowitz, Stone, you brought so much to the table these last two seasons. So much on the air and off the air that people will never see. And when I was sitting there in Frisco with former head coach of the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, John Stiegelmeyer, your name came up and he said this. He said, what Stone Labanowitz is going to bring to your show with his ability to know football and talk about it will be great. What he will bring to the table with his brain about football and what he'll bring to the show will be great. But what he will bring to the table with his big heart will be much greater than the sum of either of those two things. And Stone Labanowitz, I agree with him. Thank you, sir. Kev, that right there was awesome stuff. Uh, I'm so appreciative uh, to be a part of this. And I'm looking forward to what we're going to do in the seasons to come. I think we're trending in an upper direction right now that is faster, harder, and a higher ceiling than anybody right now who covers the FCS. That's just what we do, and it's what we're going to continue to do. So I'm looking forward to that. But as the offseason approaches, you're going to see some content. I'm going to be getting at some 
quarterbacks that are projected starters for teams. Kevin's going to be interviewing a bunch of newly hired coaches, coaches who don't yet have jobs that you guys want to hear from. We're going to have them on our show because that's just what we do. We provide FCS content for people everywhere, all over the place, no matter the day, no matter the time. It really doesn't matter. We're FCS guys through and through. And for the people who are out there who are looking for it, we got what you need. Like I said, some quarterback interviews, some coaches interviews, some season previews for all of these teams. And if you want to find that, it's right there on Twitter at FCS Nation Radio 1. You can follow me at Lebano at Stone on X on Twitter, whatever the hell we're calling it nowadays. And of course, on the website, keep up with our writers, Lucas Sam and the coach, Gene Clemens. FCSNationRadio.com is where you can find some of that good material. Kev, I'm excited. Like I said, the stock is rising. We're on the up and up and I cannot wait to see where we go from here. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of another season of FCS Nation on the Palmetto Radio Network. FCS Nation is co-hosted and produced by Mr. Stone Lebanowit. I'm executive producer and host Kevin Marshall, thanking you for making FCS Nation a small part of your football week. And like I always do, y'all, I'd like to remind you that life's a lot like football. You play by the rules and the penalties won't kill you. Until next time, so long, everybody.